0: Matthew chapter 11, let's begin reading again this evening in verse 7. Brethren, this is the Word of God. And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind. But what went ye out for to see? a man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet, for this is he, of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, Among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied unto John. Until John, and if you will receive it, this is Esaias, which was for to come. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. I pray that our, our God of mercy will bless the reading of, our, of His holy word to us tonight. <clears throat> After lavishing much praise upon John the Baptist, the Lord Jesus surprises us here by saying that the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. We spent some time considering that last week, and so I will not uh, repeat that again this week. While John faithfully announced the coming Christ, it was Jesus who brought the most radical change in history. It was Jesus who inaugurated the kingdom and fulfilled the promise of the new covenant in His own blood. Jesus and His great kingdom are the fulfillment of all to which the Old Testament Scriptures pointed. Now, I want us to focus once again on verse 12 where the Lord says, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven... Suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. This portion of Scripture finds our beloved Lord making reference to the kingdom of heaven suffering violence, enduring great force. Violence, as we defined it last week, means to use or apply force, implying the most ardent zeal, and the most intense exertion. The picture being drawn for us is that of a city holding out against an invading army which is arrayed against it, and the image is of warriors who are storming their way into that city. This is the word picture that the Lord sets before us. It cannot be taken but by force. Likewise, the kingdom of heaven cannot be taken but by the violent. Now, in light of our Lord's statement, we raised this question last time, and uh, I raise it again tonight. Who are those who take heaven by storm? Our answer was those who are filled with holy violence. Last week, our message was holy violence as it pertained to conversion. Tonight, we take up the theme of holy violence as regarding sanctification. Holy violence... This violence finds its source in the saving grace of God Himself. And we could define holy violence as a Spirit-created, Scripture-instructed, burning desire for the Lord Jesus Christ. Say that again. A Spirit-created, Scripture-instructed, burning desire for the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a zeal of heart made alive by the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit and manifested as a hunger, as a thirst that cannot be satisfied by anything but the Lord Jesus Himself. The heart ablaze with holy violence, can find no rest until it rests in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, I spoke to someone just last evening who was telling me that he was looking for peace, he was longing for peace. And I told him he would never find it until he got to Christ. But in Christ, there is the peace that passeth all understanding. And brethren, a heart that truly is being stoked by the fires of heaven will go on to seek the Lord Jesus Christ at all costs till He comes to that peace in the gospel of the Lord Jesus. So tonight, God willing, we want to consider Holy Violence in Sanctification and Holy Violence in the Lord Jesus Himself. Holy Violence in Sanctification and Holy Violence in the Lord Jesus Himself. I thought to do a review this evening and go back over uh, some of the the primary points of, of Holy Violence as it referred to conversion. But I will just encourage you, if you were not here, to get the tape. And uh, I will launch directly into our message this evening, because there are quite a number of things that I want us to consider. First, when I say holy violence in sanctification, I am referring to what I said just a few moments ago of a Spirit-created scripture instructed, burning desire for the Lord Jesus Christ. This begins in the regenerating power of the Holy Ghost, which is why there is such a thing as conversion. But it doesn't stop there. Today, unfortunately, because of the way commercial religion and modern cultureized. Uh, professing Christianity preaches its truncated gospel, everything seems to stop as soon as you can get someone to make a decision. At best, it's, well, you really ought to go on and serve the Lord, but you, you know, if you're going to just sit there and be a carnal Christian, okay, see you in heaven, but uh, uh, you're really not going to have many crowns when you get there. Brethren, this is distortion of the biblical picture. I'm not attempting to attack the motives of people that think this way. I'm simply saying it's error. It is a a wrong view of what it means to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ when the Spirit of God lays hold of a darkened heart and opens it, illumines it, so that a man sees that he's lost And Christ is held forth before him as his only hope. That heart will go to the Lord Jesus Christ. He will repent of his sins and believe on Christ and the everlasting life. But that everlasting life as we studied this morning is in fact union by the power of the Spirit with the living God. And that life provokes in us a holy violence in sanctification the saints of god are called to be soldiers of christ today when you hear many pulpits it sounds like christianity is simply the big religious psychologist couch Or just a big hospital. Well, all the wounded and all the healed and and all the broken hearted come and then they feel better about themselves. Now, brethren, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. Sin wounds and breaks and crushes and bruises and distorts and disfigures and mutilates. And yes, we come to Christ for healing. But then it's not lying in the hospital or on the psychologist's couch until we get to heaven. Christianity is a life. And when you begin to read the images given to us in Scripture, brethren, we see something that only holy violence could produce. We're called to be soldiers. We're not called to a a big picnic. We're called to be soldiers. Let us look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. In verse 4, the Apostle Paul writes to young Timothy, the elder, the bishop at Ephesus, and he says, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And this is how he encourages Timothy. Brethren, we have been called into the Lord's army. We are His soldiers. He is our captain. He is the captain of our faith. He is the Lord of the Kingdom. And we have been called to be soldiers. You notice we don't sing many hymns about being soldiers of the cross anymore. Onward, Christian soldiers! Marching as to war. We don't talk like that much anymore. That's not popular. We just want to feel better. Brethren, we've been called into holy battle. We've been called to a war that involves, I mean a life that involves a struggle. Now I'm, In any message where you are trying to hammer a particular theme, it's always possible to think that uh, all I'm saying is that the Christian life is a struggle. I don't want to give you that idea. There is great peace. There is great joy. But we're not talking about those tonight. We'll talk about those in another message. This is a truth that is being horrendously ignored today. And it is why we must take it up and consider it. You see, the saints of God must put on His armor. This is the way the Christian life is depicted for us by Paul. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Look with me at verse 10. <clears throat> Brethren, listen to this Holy Ghost-inspired Instruction about the Christian life. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Listen to these very strong words. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore. You hear him? He's a good preacher. He keeps repeating. Stand, 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 withstand. Why? Because you are called to a battle. Put on the armor. Brethren, do you not hear the call to a holy warfare? What would provoke weak vessels like you and me to do such a thing? Nothing but holy violence. There must be a holy violence helping us to see our beds of ease and turn our backs on them and suit up with God's armor and go into the battle. Stand, therefore, having your loins skirt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Brethren, do you not see the hailstorm of the enemy's attack? The fiery darts, the burning spears, in our days the bullets and the bombs coming our direction. Paul says, you're in a battle. Wake up! Put on the armor of God and stand. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Brethren, God's children are to stand against the devil. We have a real enemy. The hosts of hell are no joke. While there are some that certainly may distort the idea of spiritual warfare and are, uh, as is often said, find a, a demon or a devil under every bush, Brethren, it is foolish to take the entirely opposite position. We are in a battle. Yes, the foe is defeated, but the foe is still real. We wrestle not with flesh and blood, says Paul. The word, at least as one commentator says, is a graphic word in the Greek, wrestling. It is a word that conjures up... The closest, most strenuous physical combat. The one wherein you s- literally smell the sweat of your opponent. It's the idea of wrestling. It's just the word he uses. We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with the powers of darkness. Brethren, what will call us out of our ease? to take up the sword of the Spirit, to, to cast ourselves into all prayer, but a holy violence. A holy violence. Something burning in our hearts that says, I must stand. Brethren, we're called to stand against the devil, the demons of hell, the enemies of God. We ought to be those who do not hesitate to vanquish the adversary and hold the ground. The Lord Jesus said, Occupy till I come. I'm afraid that many of us say, Well, you know, I've had a long week. Tired. Had a lot of work to do. And uh, I'm just going to get a little R&R here and If I get some time later to read the Bible, or pray, or uh, do some of that church stuff, uh, you know, well, I'll, I'll do it, if it's convenient. Friend, I tell you, that's the sound of a prisoner. That's the sound of someone who's losing the battle. That's the sound of modern Christianity. Brethren, we're called to be soldiers. The very picture in Scripture is one of violence. Soldiers are those who know how to defend themselves, who know how to take up the arms and use them. They are those who know how to march in rank. They know how to take commands from proper authority. They know how to go into the battle they know how to wage the warfare and hold the ground that they take. Brethren, is that us? The saints of God are called to be sin haters and sin killers. Once again, violent language. Romans 8 chapter 12. Excuse me, Romans chapter 8 verse 12 says, "Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. Now, brethren, this is a very important passage for a number of reasons. I simply set two of them before you tonight. First of all, it makes absolutely plain that if in fact we are Christians, that the Spirit of God is the power through which we are to mortify the deeds of the body. Now, what does he mean by that? The word literally means put to death, to kill. I ask you seriously, Are you a sin assassin? Is that what you are? Do you see the sin in your life by the glorious mirror of God's Word and the illumination of the Holy Spirit and then simply sit there and say, Oh Lord, I have this bad sin. Take it away. Is that what you sound like? You won't find anybody in the the Scriptures praying like that. We have Paul the Apostle saying, You, through the Spirit of God, kill it! That's strong language. And we don't like that because it demands something of us. It calls us out of our comfort. It doesn't let us just lie in the hospital, does it? <laughs> it says up it says, get up and get hacking. Alright? Take out the sword of the spirit and go after that thing. Amen. So, brethren, in the flesh we're not like that. What would drive us to take the cherished sins of our of our bosom? What would make us go after the idols that still remain in our flesh? What would make us go after them with an absolute determination to battle until it's done or I'm done? Holy violence. Brethren, this is what we're talking about. A spirit created. Scripture informed and instructed, burning desire for the Lord Jesus Christ and to honor and to glorify Him to do what He calls us to do. Brethren, I hear so many Christians in this day sitting before God and simply asking Him to take away something and then wondering why it seems to stay there. Instead of finding them getting on their knees and fighting the good fight, Lord God, By Your mercy and grace, help me get a hold of this tongue today. Lord God, help me to bring the the glorious truth of Thy Word out of the darkness of my library over there. Bring it into my heart and help me to bring the sword of the Spirit against my sin, against my tongue, against my attitudes, against my wicked deeds. Lord God, strengthen me. Help me to put on Your armor and help me to stand against these things. Brethren, there's a difference. Yeah. I trust we see it. Secondly, in this passage, I want you to see something that I find extremely vital, especially in our day. It says, if ye through the Spirit... We, can, we can't do this ourselves, and I'm not saying this is something possible in the flesh, but it is possible for us as believers because we're supernatural people filled with the Spirit. Mortify the deeds of the body. Why? For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Brethren, I've heard this verse ripped out of its context and used over and over and over to say that, well, those that are manifesting Pentecostal gifts of God or those that somehow or another are being led by a voice, they're God's children. That is not what this passage is saying. It's saying I will tell you who the sons of God are. They are those led by the Spirit of God to be locked in mortal combat with their sins. Those are the sons of God. Those are the children who have been regenerated by the glorious power of God's Spirit. It is they who, trusting in their God, going on saying, Lead on, O King Eternal. The battle's not over. Let's go. Let's fight. Help me today to war a relentless battle against my sins, whatever they are. I am cleansed of them by thy blood. I am strengthened by your Spirit. I have the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, and the shield of faith. Let's get into the battle. Brethren, only those possessed of holy violence will walk such a path. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul again says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. There it is, brethren. God has held up the army of the enemy. And he says, now, get to work. Amen. Not in yourself. Through the Spirit. By the Word. But there's the enemy. Mow them down. Mortify your members. Not everybody else in the room. I mean, now some of us will take up the sword and go after everybody else. You, you're doing this, and you, you're. Do- He's saying, "Look, you, each of you, mortify your members, which are upon the earth." First Peter chapter two verse eleven. Paul, uh, Peter says, "Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul." You have an enemy. And it's not only the powers of darkness, but brethren, there's one closer to home. The flesh and fleshly lusts don't just lie dormant. They war against the soul. I mean, at this point, I, I fear many modern Christians would sit and go, Huh? What? Battle? War? What are we talking about here? Father, the word of God is clear. Lusts war against our souls. Now, let me let me ask you, let me let's let's do the obverse here. Are you warring against your lusts? This is what Paul is telling us in Romans eight and Colossians three. It's not a special group of Christians that are warring against their sins. It's just Christians. That's it. It's just Christians. Galatians chapter 5 verse 24. They that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Do you see it again? They that are Christ's. He doesn't say now the elitist group of God's children or the second or third level group of God's children. He doesn't say the esoteric group that gets the revelations that no one else gets. It just, it just says, they that are Christ's, they're locked in a battle. They're called into war. And they've done something extraordinary. They have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Brethren, do you realize that crucifixion was one of the most violent Ways of killing someone imaginable. They didn't just lay themselves down and say, Okay, put the nails in me. The Roman soldiers would come and they would haul them down. And as they cried out and as they fought and as they struggled, they drove in the spikes. Paul uses a violent image. He says their lusts and their affections, they have wrestled to the ground and nailed to a cross. They've crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Brethren, does this describe us? Oh, we have many today in grace circles that would say, Oh, this is harsh language. This is almost legalistic language. I will say it's uncomfortable language. I could give a hearty amen to that. But it's truth. Brethren, we're called to the battle. Do you have a prideful attitude? The word of God is spoken. Lay hold of it, crucify it, mortify it, go by prayer and the sword of the spirit and wage war till one of you drops on the field. That's not something that can be worked up in the flesh. You can do it for a week or two, maybe, if you're zealous enough. Then you just burn out on it. That's too hard. don't want to do this. Brethren, the point is, God in His mercy by His Spirit changes men. And until we understand once again that the new birth is a radical transformation in men, we're going to go on filling up our, our church buildings with warm bodies that don't walk according to the Word of God. Listen to what Thomas Watson says about the flesh. The pampering of the flesh is the quenching of God's Spirit. The flesh chokes and stifles holy motions. The flesh sides with Satan and is true to its Interests. There is a party within that will not pray. Did you hear that? Boy, that's that's bold. There's a party within that will not pray. If you're a Christian, you know that. You know, there have been times when you know you ought to pray and you just go, oh, not now. It's too tired. Too hard to pray. I've known dear brethren throughout the years with all of their hearts. They get down to pray and all of a sudden that drowsiness gets on them. They get up and they walk through their house and pray. They're going to pray. Brethren, that's holy violence. That's holy violence. Where the flesh says, Oh, give me a break. And we say, not now. Now understand, I'm not talking about going out into the desert and depriving ourselves of food and water. and I'm not talking about being ascetics. I'm not talking about saying I will, I will starve myself and keep myself awake for days. I'll do like George Whitfield and go and stand out all night in the snow praying that God will make me holy, destroying my health in a misguided attempt. I'm not talking about punishing ourselves. I'm just talking about knowing how to fight the battle, brethren, and doing what needs to be done biblically, by prayer, with the Word, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Watson goes on to say, there is a party within that will not pray, that will not believe. The flesh inclines us more to believe a temptation than a promise. There needs no wind to blow to sin when this tide within is so strong to carry it thither. Since the flesh is so near to us, its counsels are more attractive. You hear that? In other words, there's times, brethren, and you know it if you're a believer, when you've sat there and you've read the Word of God, and you knew in your heart it was true. It resounded by the power of the Spirit like a, like a beautiful instrument in tune. And yet your flesh said, mm, yeah, but we don't want to get carried away with this. There's someone there and I want to speak to them about Christ. And you know, this is not really a comfortable situation to do that in. Ah oh, yeah, because the flesh is so near its counsels are more attractive. He finishes by saying There is not a chain so adamant which binds us closely as the chain of lust. Our flesh. And brethren, by God's mercy and grace we must war against these things. Romans twelve nine It says, abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Abhor. Now, we live in a day where hate is a hateful word. Last thing we want to be called is a, a hater. Right? Christians are called haters. You know that. I trust. If we stand and say sodomy is a sin, Well, we're haters. If we say abortion is a sin, well, we're haters. If we say women have not been called to be elders, we're haters. This is what the world says. But the Scripture calls us to be haters. But in this way, abhor that which is evil. To abhor means a hatred which is expressed. For the Christian, it is an expression of hatred so that we withdraw from our sin and we loathe it. It's an intense inward rejection. Are you a sin hater? Friend, it wars against your soul. Do you hate your sin? Is there a violence within you that would see it quenched? If there is, it's a holy violence. We're not talking about knives and swords and bombs and guns. We're talking about faith in our Christ. Believing Christ. His Word, applying it to our lives and by His grace, walking in it, whatever the cost. Fourthly, the saints of God will buffet themselves. Holy violence will drive us to buffet ourselves figuratively. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 says, Know ye not that they which run in a race, run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain. Run as if you're going to be the one that wins. He says, everybody's running, everybody's trying to get there, but you run this race like you're going to win. Have you ever run track? If you have, you'll know what I'm talking about when I expressed it. One of the things I hated most when I was running is I would be running, running, pushing myself to the limits, thinking, I can sustain it. I don't know if I can sustain it. I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep pushing. I'm gonna push. I'm breathing, I'm puffing, my, my lungs feel like they're going to explode. And I can hear The shoes of the one coming up behind me. And there would be that digging in to try to get a little more, to push just a little harder. Why in the world did I want to do that? I look back now and ask myself that question. (laughs) But it was to win. I wanted to win. And this is what Paul is saying. To reach down and run like you're going to be the one that wins. Paul goes on to say, every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. He knows what he ought to eat, what he ought not to eat, the day before he runs or the day before he throws the discus. they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we, an incorruptible. Do you see how he makes the comparison? Run, master yourself. It takes violence to say, I sure would like another two or three helpings of that, but I'm just (laughs) going to pass. That won't be good for me today. Takes a violent of a holy violence, doesn't it? Not now. But brethren, seriously, Paul says, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Literally, in the Greek, he says, I give myself a black eye. Now, I'm not encouraging us to all go home and physically beat ourselves, and that's not what Paul is saying. But he's saying spiritually, whatever I need to do if I have to give myself spiritually the black eye to keep myself in shape, is what I need to do. But then this is called fanaticism in our day. I heard a man once say, I used to be an alcoholic. The Lord saved me. But on my way home, I had to go by a number of bars. And he said, So, I took a route home that was longer so that I would get home safely. And I heard a preacher mock him for not being strong enough and mature in Christ. Brethren, There are times when we have to know what we are and do what we need to do to keep from sinning. And while we need to grow and grow stronger and learn to withstand temptations, it is foolishness for a man who has been addicted to pornography to drive in front of these wretched clubs that, that are around town. You've got to drive five miles out of the way to get home. Drive it. Drive 20. Because, friend, the price of that gas is not worth the price of your soul. You do not know that you would utterly destroy yourself and prove yourself reprobate. Then this is not comfortable talk, is it? But it is the Word of God. Paul says, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I preach to others I should be a castaway. The saints of God war within themselves. Galatians 5.17 says, For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other so that ye cannot do the things ye would. Well, the very terminology here is cast in the context of a struggle. It would appear that many of us haven't been struggling for a long time. There's a struggle here. The child of God, the true child of God, knows it. The flesh lusts against the Spirit. And the Spirit, oh, brethren, this is holy violence. The Spirit against the flesh. The Spirit that looks at something and the flesh cries, I want it! It will make me happy. It will please me. Make me feel good. The Spirit says, walk on. Sometimes the Spirit has to say, no, don't walk on. Stop and beat this thing into the ground with prayer. And with the Word of God. Having trouble with that? I've given you a church. Go with your brethren. Two and three and four of you. Agree as touching something here on earth, I'm with you there in the battle. Fight that thing. The great William Gernal, in his wonderful book about spiritual warfare, the Christian in complete armor, I'm going to paraphrase him strongly. He says, but one of the problems with you and with us as Christians is that we pray and ask God to take away our sins. And by that, we expect Him to come in the front door and conk them on the head and drag them out. He said, and very often we lie on the floor continuing to pray, the tears running down our face, pleading with our God to grant us the strength to stand. And He says, right there, friends, you're fighting the battle. That's holy violence. The saints of God are called to a life that is described as taking up the cross, denying ourselves daily, and following after Him. Brethren, is is this not a violent picture? What is the call of Christ? Come die! Come die! And as you die, you live. As you die to yourselves and to your selfishness and your self-righteousness, your self-centeredness, as you take up my cross and follow hard after me, you find life. Because I'm there with you under the cross. Luke 9.23 If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross daily. Follow after his, follow after me for whosoever will save his life shall lose it but whosoever will lose there it is lose his life why would you turn away from all these trinkets and the trash that the world has to offer and follow after Christ when it means denying yourself and your pleasures Because when holy violence grips your soul and you go after the Lord Jesus, you find life as it was meant to be. There it is. The saints of God will do whatever is necessary to follow Christ. Matthew 5.29 If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Once again, the Lord Jesus Christ is not telling us to go home and pull our eyes out of our sockets because even with our eyes gone, friends, we can go on and lust in our hearts. We've got enough residual memories and visions to send ourselves to hell a zillion times over. What He's saying is whatever we need to do, avoid that sin or to stop that sin in our lives. Press on to Christ. Press on to the Father trusting in His power to do whatsoever you need to do to walk with Him. Sometimes that means losing the esteem of a family member a wonderful friend, a job, personal comfort. Well, let me press on then to this last point. It should be obvious, brethren, none of us is up to this task in and of ourselves. The good news is that the living God in this glorious thing that we call salvation, has provided for us everything that pertains to life and godliness. He's given us the shield of faith. Now take it up. He's given us the sword of the Spirit. Take it up. He's given us the glorious helmet of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Put it on and walk in it. Well, what would drive you to do that? Nothing but a Spirit created, Scripture instructed, burning love for Christ. Brethren, that's what the new birth does for a man. That's why God gives us a new heart. That's why He says, I will give you a new heart and I will give you a new spirit so that you will walk in My ways. Well, let's consider holy violence then in the Lord Jesus Christ. When the Holy Spirit illuminates the sinful mind and brings it to a clear conviction of its sin, then the gospel and its power reveals the glory, the beauty, and the desirability of the Lord Jesus. Now, if you've just got religion, what I just said doesn't mean much to you. But if the Lord has begun a good work in you, you know that even though it may be weak in you at this moment, you want Christ, His will, and to walk in it. If not, friend, you have all the reason in the world to doubt that you've been touched by His grace. And in our coming to realize our need for a Savior, Christ is made beautiful to us. We repent of our sins and we'll believe Him. We'll trust Him for everlasting life. The message of salvation and the accounts of Christ in the Scripture give us a picture of the altogether lovely One who is worthy of our ardent love. Let us consider for our remaining moments the portrait of Christ's own violence. If I can say it that way. That the Holy Spirit paints for us in the infallible Word of God. First of all, brethren, the Son of God voluntarily became man in an utterly hostile world. Do you hear that? The Son of God, the Logos, He came flesh, but He didn't come to a heavenly, wonderful place. He came to a seething, hellish, hostile world. He came into His own. His own received Him not. He came into an utterly hostile world. He was in danger from His birth. Matthew 2, verse 12 tells us, The angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Why would the eternally glorious Son of God come into a world that from His first coming in the birth from his wonderful mother. He'd have to be taken, taken up in her arms and, and, and would flee down into Egypt. Why in the world would he do that? His life was threatened throughout his entire ministry. The crowds would love him. Every glorious thing he'd do, the Pharisees would start plotting how they could kill him. Therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus, John 5.16, and sought to slay Him because He had done these things on the Sabbath day. Why would He come into a world where the very miracles of mercy brought Him nothing but a death sentence? Well, first, friend, it was because the Son of God earnestly desired His Father's will. John chapter 4, verse 34, His disciples came to Him and they said, Here, Master, we know you're weary from this long journey. We've brought you some food. Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of Him that sent me. And you know what I feed on? I feed on what God, my Father, wants me to do. And to finish his work. What was the work that needed to be finished? Friend, it ended on a lonely hill. It ended on a cross between two thieves. The very thing that Christ feasted on was to do what His Father gave Him to do, which would end in His violent, torturous death. The Son of God was driven by an earnest, fervent love for His Father's glory. John fourteen thirty one. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. That's what burned in his heart. The Son of God obeyed to the death. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5, Paul instructs us, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. Brethren, what would drive the holy and eternal Son of God to come into this sin-cursed world knowing that His Father's will was to turn Him over into the hands of cruel men Who would torture him and violently kill him? What could possibly drive a man to something like that? Hebrews 12 tells us, Who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. What drove the Lord Jesus Christ a holy love for His Father and a holy love for His people us. Brethren, what made him say in the garden, Not my will, but thine be done? What made him take the whips upon his back? What made him take the crown of thorns upon his head? What made him take the nails in his hands and his feet? It was a holy violence. He was filled with the Spirit without measure. And that glorious Spirit drove Him in love for His Father and love for His people. And brethren, that's what He works out in His dear children. That's where their holy violence comes from. The violent then... Take heaven by force. They will have Christ, whatever the cost. They would have Him in His way. So I must ask you are you violent? Does the Spirit of God drive you with a holy desire to glorify the Father? to love and honor the Son that loved you first? Will you honor Him with His life and become the living sacrifice that we're called to be in Romans 12? Are you driven by a holy violence, a hunger and a thirst for Christ that cannot be satisfied by anything but Him? You know, when the hungry soul finds satisfaction, an eternal life with the Lord Jesus. That holy violence that drives us to Him becomes a zealous love that will take up the cross and deny self and will mortify sin at all costs. We can't push ourselves to do it but His love for us works a love for Him that will walk that way. All this is because of holy violence. A holy love that drove Christ from all eternity. An inquenchable love for His Father's glory and His bride's salvation. When it becomes alive in us, it draws us to Him. To walk with Him every day. Holy violence, brethren. If you do not know Christ, if you realize you have never sought Him, you realize that you've said, well, I believe some things, but... uh, There's never been any life in me. and Brethren, I call you to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If your life doesn't reflect these things, you don't really believe Him. Come to Him. He is a glorious Savior.
1: M O N T O N Alberta, abbreviated Capital A Capital B Canada T six L three T five. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart. From his commentary on Jeremiah seven hundred thirty one.